Hey there, everybody, and welcome to the Cinema Drip Podcast, the podcast where we need movies like we need our coffee. As always, I am Scott Lentz, here with my good friend and co-host, Christian Ubius. Christian, spooky season is here. It's October. The skeleton and pumpkin decorations are coming out. Spirit Halloweens are popping up and closed down stores across the nation, and I'm planning out a Halloween costume. Have you got one picked out yet, my friend? You know what you're going to be? Well, I, I didn't celebrate Halloween growing up, and so, no, because I think the most I go to is like a Halloween party where we eat pies. Pies? Apparently. I like, and it's the confluence of fall <laughs> and I guess. Halloween, I suppose. But I think we also have like a Friendsgiving kind of thing, and we also eat pie. It's just a pie season right now. Okay, well, maybe you can figure out some sort of pie-oriented costume for this year's Party Christian. We'll, we'll workshop that. Of course, here on the show, we are turning our attention to some slasher classics, our blend of the month for this October after a very highbrow month, looking at some of the finest films of Viola Davis's career, we now go into whatever the opposite is, into the lowbrow, looking at Friday the 13th, Nightmare on Elm Street, and Scream. So I gotta say, Christian, this is a blend that, when I put it together, I was honestly excited about it because these are three movies that I've been wanting to see for a long time. I'm a... Not a huge horror movie person, and definitely was not growing up. So I've missed a lot of the classics, and I'm ready to check some of these out. Just remind folks, and remind me too, just where you were with these three movies in particular. Because I know you were a fan of Scream. And I've seen A Nightmare on Elm Street, and I'm not a fan of it. And I had never seen Friday the 13th before, but I knew it was influenced by Halloween. Yeah, that's... um, It's one of the most famous things about the original Friday the 13th, because the most famous character from the franchise is Jason Voorhees, and he's barely even a factor in the first movie. Maybe a little a spoiler alert if you haven't seen this one before, but it's really, it's, the franchise kicks off as an attempt to cash in on, on some of the momentum that Halloween created in the horror movie industry. And aren't there Nightmare on Elm Street, Friday the 13th crossovers? Like, isn't there Freddy versus Jason? Oh, Christian, there sure is. <laughs> yeah, these both of these movies spawn big, huge franchises. Friday the 13th has a movie that's called, like, The Final Chapter, which came out maybe the fourth movie, and I think there's something like 11 (laughs) in the franchise as a whole, so certainly not the final chapter. But they were always profitable, and that's one major piece of the original here, is that it's just a huge financial success, and obviously why it kicked off the big franchise. I I know that it kicked off the uh, campground is a great place for a horror movie. Yeah, it's, uh, again, a very, like, classic setting for especially this type of movie a slasher in particular where you can get a bunch of teenagers or college students in one place and all of them are horny all of them are horny they spend the first 20 minutes making out or having sex and then of course the killer comes in to punish those who do and spare the final girl who does not who usually gets away by killing the killer so I mean, when it comes to slashers themselves Christian I mean is it a horror genre that you're especially familiar with or or, or not? I mean, horror in general. There are horror movies that I like, and there are horror movies that I am not a fan of. But I, I, I it's not necessarily a slasher. I think it just needs to be good. And I'm, I don't really get scared by horror movies anymore. I think now it's just like, does it thrill me? And there are times when it does, and there are times when slasher movies have great kills. Oh, absolutely. I feel like with 
slashers in particular, that's why a lot of people come to them, is just to see how gruesome the kills are. And certainly, you can go over the top, it's too gross, it's too hateful, it's too evil, whatever you want to say. But sometimes, they find those sweet spots where the violence is certainly over the top, but it's exactly what you're looking for from a, a late-night horror movie like Friday the 13th or many of the other movies that came in Halloween's wake. So, a little bit more about Friday the 13th before we get into our review. Directed by Sean S. Cunningham. So, this is unfortunately the apex of his career. He would not go on to be involved with the franchise, except maybe in a, you know, appearing in a documentary or, or producing. And written by Victor Miller, who was more known for writing for soap operas and uh, then pivoted to making a low-budget horror movie with Cunningham. And of course, the two of them kicked off this franchise. Miller actually went on the record saying he was disappointed that Jason Voorhees became the iconic villain of the franchise, partially because when he wrote his original script, Jason was dead. <laughs> so, uh, you, you know, not a huge fan of the franchise himself. But of course, their original movie was a huge success. It made almost $60 million at the global box office in 1980 when it came out, and it was made for less than $600,000. So hugely profitable, and very few movies were even close to this profitable in, in that year. Uh, unfortunately, Friday the 13th has a very, I guess, a mixed reception in terms of critical scores. and A lot of the people who we like hate this movie. A lot of the people who we like hate this movie. It has a 22 on Metacritic, <laughs> if you go look at its IMDb page, at least. And in terms of awards that it was nominated for, it, it picked up some positive attention, but most famously... It was one of the first movies ever nominated by the Golden Raspberry Awards, which, if you're not familiar with the Razzies, they are... They're um, an in, unimportant group. Yeah, they, they award the worst in film, which starts as a funny joke, but it just becomes lame. And the most they recent awarded ceremonies, Batman, or nominated yeah. Batman Begins in War of the Worlds. Yeah, they, they just start, pick they pick their favorite targets and will throw good movies in just to sort of create buzz around the award ceremonies. They're traditionally held the day before the Oscars, trying to be satirical counter-programming, kind of lame for sure. Something I liked a lot more when I was a teenager, but Friday the 13th gets the honor of being among their first group of nominees. And in terms of the cast... Honestly, it's a lot of people that I have not heard of, and it's because many of them did not go on to long careers in film. Kevin Bacon is the most recognizable face here. Uh-huh. I, I The entire time, like, is that Kevin Bacon? Is that Kevin Bacon? It's Kevin Bacon. <laughs> it sure is Kevin Bacon. And it was coming, this movie came out right as he was starting to get more work in Hollywood. He had appeared in a few movies before this, most notably Animal House, and then he would really pop off with Footloose, which would come a few more years into the 80s. But the cast featured... A lot of people who continued to act, whether it was on stage or in TV, but also some tragic stories, including Adrian King, who plays Alice, who, I mean, we're kind of talking spoilers as is, so just a fair warning, but she is set up as the final girl here in Friday the 13th, and she actually had a, had a situation with a stalker. She appeared in the sequel to Friday the 13th, and after that was confronted by this crazy man, and ultimately stepped way back from the spotlight and didn't return to on-camera acting for many, many years. The other people to, to take note of here are Betsy Palmer, who's the one of the few actors older than, you know, their early 20s here. Harry Crosby, son of Bing, which is kind of fun, <laughs> playing the role of Bill here. <laughs> also, Janine Taylor, Laurie Bartram, and Mark Nelson rounding out the camp counselor cast here. 
So, Christian, as we do get into our review of Friday the 13th here, I gotta start with our opening question, of course, and maybe you did allude to it when you were just talking about your feelings about horror movies in general a few minutes ago, but especially when returning to these types of classics, it's one of the major questions on my mind, both when I watch it for myself and when I talk about them with others. So I just want to know, Christian, did Friday the 13th scare you? It didn't scare me, but it shocked me. If that makes sense. Okay. Expand. Okay. Um, This is a very, very slow movie. And then all of a sudden, there's an axe in a girl's face. (laughs) And I was like, I I, I was watching it with my roommate. I'm like, oh, all right. Okay. (laughs) There most definitely is an axe in a girl's face. And that's not even the first person killed. (laughs) Not even the first person killed, no. So it's, I the, I will say the kills here are very well done, and a lot of them are kind of sudden. Even if, if like, the, I don't know, the music's been going on for a while, it, it still takes a sec for you to, to get into it. Yeah, the, the saying it's a little bit more shocking than scary is a very good way of putting it. I do think that, Friday the 13th, it kind of sat with me for a second after it was over. I watched it in the dark, as you should with horror movies like this, and I kind of had to shake it off. I was like, ooh, that was kind of spooky. But then I was good. And there are certainly moments, like when certain dead bodies are revealed, where I jumped in my seat a little bit, like, oh my gosh, no way. (laughs) And yet, it's not a movie that sinks deep into your soul and, and terrifies you. And there are movies that have done that for me, but I feel like with some of these classics, I don't know if they are as effective in that way. It doesn't necessarily mean that they're bad movies, of course, or that they're not scary for what they are, but it is interesting coming back to these movies when they didn't scar me at a young age, you know? I feel like that's why so many people love classics like this. I gotta ask, because this is a slasher here, Christian, I, I guess before we, uh, we start talking about some of the other elements of the movie, I did fail to mention just the story here. Feels unnecessary, but in case you have not yet seen this movie like us or you just want a refresher, Friday the 13th does follow some camp counselors as they set up a camp, Camp Crystal Lake. As they set it up for the first time, it's being opened in years and years and years. It was closed down after a series of accidents in the past, which involved a drowning camper and some camp counselors who were murdered. And we actually see that murder at the very beginning of the movie. And it's now being reopened. And unfortunately, the new crop of camp counselors start getting picked off one by one by a mysterious killer. And we have to see if they can survive. Wait, so these camp counselors are kind of just there with no adult supervision for weeks before actual campers get in? I mean, I did not grow up in the 70s or the 80s, but it feels like that's probably what went down. (laughs) There is is an older character who... uh, I'm forgetting his, his name. It's escaping me. The The guy who said... Oh, his fashion sense... Fashion sense inspired me, Christian, because he showed up in jean cutoffs with no shirt. <laughs> Steve right. Christie. That's his name. Steve Christie is the owner-operator of the camp. He appears at the beginning before going off to run some errands and leaves the counselors to the setup. So there is some adult supervision here. <laughs> it's... Yeah, n- not... Probably not how most summer camps are run these days. All right. Let's get into this. Let's do it. Let's get into it. I don't like this movie. <laughs> Yo, this movie kind of sucks. There it is. Christian, joining with the, the good people at the Golden Raspberry Awards. Okay, look, <laughs> look, okay. Disdain let, let, let me ask a very general question. Do you remember the names of 
anyone in this cast besides Alice and Mrs. Voorhees. Bill and Marcy and Ned. I just looked up Steve, so Steve. What was Kevin Bacon's name? What was Kevin Bacon's name? I wrote it down. He's Jack. Nah, come on, Jack. Come on. Everybody's named Jack. Brenda. There's also a Brenda. I wrote this down in my notes. (laughs) If you had not been taking notes, would you have remembered these names? (laughs) I I would have remembered a couple of them, but this is a completely fair criticism of this movie. These characters are not memorable. Not at all. (laughs) At all. Oh my goodness. I, I mean, Bill, I will say is only memorable because you're like, that guy looks vaguely like Bing Crosby. And then you look it up and realize it's his son. <laughs> you say, oh, that's Bing, that's Bing Crosby's son. But, I mean, Kevin Bacon plays a guy and you can't even remember Jack's name. <laughs> like, I'm with you here. So, okay, I will say, I like horror movies where I, like, care about the characters or hate them so that when they get killed, like, their death means something to me. Did I care about any of these deaths? No. <laughs> I, I don't Not often, at all. Yeah, I don't often come to these types of movies looking for investment, especially because you know that so many of the characters are just going to get murdered in gruesome ways before the movie even hits the hour mark. So I'm not often hoping for deep investment in them, but it is a fair criticism of the script here and that these, these people are really set up where you feel like anybody could be saying the lines and it wouldn't matter who got what line. There are, there's some distinction made where Ned is a little bit of a, he's sort of the class clown, the funny guy, but pretty much everyone blends together. All of them are just together. horny guys and girls, and they don't, they don't matter, and you know They what? matter to someone, Christian. They well, all have me. mothers and fathers. Do they? <laughs> because who's that? Okay, look, and, and, and it's so, it's so weird for me to try and think about what what like what's the best way to actually acknowledge this movie but man did did i not care and the death scenes are kind of cool oh for sure there are some kind of cool death scenes but it's so slow it is disturbingly slow and it's funny because the movie's 95 minutes and like there's not a ton of credits so the actual movie itself probably 92 and there's definitely some sequences where you you feel like they could have shaved off a minute here or there, shaved off 10, 15 seconds out of this scene, 30 seconds out of that one, and gotten something that feels a lot more tighter at, say, 85 minutes. And there are moments that, that do drag on a little bit, and you want, you just sort of just want to get to the action, you know? You want to get to the scares. But even at 95 minutes, there are moments when Friday the 13th feels a little long. And Mrs. Warheaves kind of comes out of nowhere? She absolutely comes out of nowhere. It's <laughs> it's a stunning turn of events. And I, I gotta say, I love Betsy Palmer's performance as Mrs. Voorhees. I love when she enters the movie. She kicks things into high gear. But she comes into the movie so late in the picture. And, I mean, we're just... Spoilers are out the window here. You've been warned. You're warned again. Spoilers, spoilers, spoilers. She's playing the vengeful mother and tells us that Jason is her son who died in the drowning accident that we've alluded to a couple times in the movie. And, of course, we've seen the work of her hands, we've seen her murder people, but it really feels like we would have benefited from at least knowing who she was before she, fit, like, physically comes on screen and we see her. We should have at least known that she was a friend of Steve, because she mentions that. She's a friend of the family, and she's gone crazy, of course, and is now killing people. We would have benefited so much more from just knowing who she was and how that she even existed and lived in the town. Or if 
we knew or if like the drowning was actually made more of because um they make a much bigger scene out of the two counselors having sex and being killed than they do of jason's drowning which uh, it should be said actually comes a year after the fact like the there's a drowning incident and the following summer is when the murders at the camp counselors happen and that's what causes them to shut down the camp but even even so it's it's poorly set up because she explains her thinking as she murders them because the counselors were having sex instead of watching her son as he drowned and i will say the opening of this movie is absolutely iconic but it does get jumbled up later on once you start hearing the details of it all and you're wondering if she's referring to that incident or if it came after her. I'm just trying to keep track of everything so it's like what what is there in this what what did you like I, in this movie I, I i will say it sounds like i'm a bigger fan than you it's absolutely like it's a classic in name only almost <laughs> like it kicked off a franchise it gave us the first mention of jason Voorhees, although his hockey mask visage would not show up until later in the franchise but I, you you do understand why it's so beloved aside from the fact that kevin bacon is here there are some some good scares and some good moments and as these kills start happening you're right that a lot of them are handled really well and i honestly kind of like some of the ways that that uh, sean cunningham directs the movie where he's using a ton of point of view shots putting us in the mind of the killer and it starts to get at there's a lot of you know if you want to dive deep into this movie you can write all kinds of theory on friday the 13th thinking about voyeurism especially in horror movies and in slashers, putting the audience in the eyes of the killer, watching the victims. And there's a complicated perspective because you, obviously if you're a normal person, you don't want characters to die, especially normal teenagers who are doing normal, or camp counselors who are doing normal young people things. But then you are in the eyes of the villain, watching them, just waiting for the moment to strike. It, it's like an interesting movie to think about in a way, but... One, we're in the moment. It just, it definitely, it's like a dumb movie. It, it, there's not a ton of deep themes <laughs> to get at. You have to read a lot into it. And that can be fun, but it's not necessarily there in the text. But, okay, so I'll agree with you. The point of view kills are absolutely fantastic. Which means that this movie is severely hindered by its script and honestly by the performances at times. <laughs> Because not only are these characters not memorable, they're cookie cutters of each other. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> and they, they, come on, is anyone actually believing these screams? Or is anyone actually believing that they're in danger? The, the, the most naturalistic acting that they've made is, is, is the sex. <laughs> yeah, Kevin Bacon and, and I believe Janine Taylor playing Marcy. The beneficiaries of being in that scene that probably was one of the major reasons this movie was rented a ton from video stores back in the 80s because young horny middle schoolers wanted to, to catch a glimpse and then see some kills yeah it's it, you know it like these acting performances it, it's a shame because i i'm sure i feel like closer to them having read their wikipedia blurbs <laughs> like all these actors but the performances are, are nothing to write home about and like Betsy Palmer comes in and she's doing some capital A acting. Like she's acting her pants off as Mrs. Voorhees, but everyone else, you're right, is this very naturalistic style, not putting a ton of, I mean, I don't want to undercut the work that they're doing. So they're putting in work, but it's not necessarily distinctive. It's not something you remember from a horror movie in the way that you remember Jamie Lee Curtis from Halloween, uh, which of course is the template for this movie. So let me then, cause okay. 
I did not like Halloween. I know you Which did, is but, a at, shame, but at the it's very shame. least, we both <laughs> liked Jamie Lee Curtis. Right. And in this movie, there's there's not a Jamie Lee Curtis. I mean, who's the the final girl is Alice. And right, and I, I've Alice about isn't that. important. Yeah, that's again that that's one of the problems with the story is that Halloween you're set up to follow. Jamie Lee Curtis from the the whole uh, Laurie. What am I even talking about? You follow Laurie from the beginning of the movie, and here in Friday the Thirteenth, you're introduced to Annie, who becomes the first person killed by the killer. And there can be times when that's effective. Absolutely, but she is so unimportant because it takes too long to kill her. You're one hundred percent right. And so we get to meet this other group of counselors while we're waiting for Annie to get to the camp and meet up with them all. And we really don't get a sense of who's the person we're supposed to be following here. And you can work within an ensemble to pare things down and reveal to us who the survivor is going to be. But it's not as effectively done in Friday the 13th as it is elsewhere, I'm, I'm sure. Which, honestly, look, Mrs. Warheaves, sure. She's doing she's doing some good work, or at least she's trying. But also, this movie is very funny, um, both to laugh with the movie and to laugh at the movie. Her exaggerated motions as she's killing oh, yes. are not shot nearly as well as when the camera acts as her. You're yeah, hundred percent right. Partially because it's not always her doing the killing. There are different people's hands, like literally physically used, and they have to. They try really, really hard to edit around these moments so as not to reveal anything about the killer. So, so that we're surprised when this middle-aged woman shows up near the end of the movie rocking a gigantic sweater. But it's it, it's a, it's a little bit disjointed, I would say, and not in a way where you're like who was back there cutting up the film, a monkey, but in a way where you do realize they're trying a little bit too hard to hide the identity of the killer. And I would understand if you were trying to do that. And I really mean, I was going to say, I understand if you do that, like you, you've introduced the character to us, you're trying to make it a little bit more of a mystery. But with this, they're really just trying to hide the fact that it's a woman, honestly, because normally a, a villain like this is a man. And that enough is a bit of a surprise that it's a, middle-aged woman not some scary dude or some monster of a man and that's the surprise they're trying to hold on to it's just that 42 years on it's not as big of a shock and a reveal as it was in the moment and so those kills where they're trying to hide her identity it acts like a deus ex machina yeah. it as like a we couldn't figure like because honestly there's a version of this movie where one of the campers is the villain I, you know, I thought I thought for a while that they were trying to set up Steve as the villain, and I sort of remembered. I I had this movie spoiled for me previously, and so yeah. I sort of remembered it wasn't him. But he disappears. He runs errands for the camp, and you do wonder for a while if it's him doing the killings because he exits the movie and he convinces Alice to stay, for example, early on. But then he shows up again in the middle. It's kind of a nice gotcha moment from Miller's screenplay, revealing that Steve is just in town, but. Yeah, it's, it, it's just not knowing who Voorhees, Mrs. Voorhees is, or even the fact that it was Jason Voorhees who was killed. You just know that a kid drowned. So then, It just limits the impact. This is the worst thing I can say about this movie, then. This is a movie where you should YouTube the clips of the killings. <laughs> because that's the only part of this movie that's either memorable or that will give you a thrill. Yeah, I mean, with a lot of slashers, that I feel like that's just... 
what happens. You, you kind of come in for the violence. <laughs> like, I don't think of a ton of slashers. I guess I don't have enough experience with the genre, because like, I'm not a humongous horror person, where you're coming to it for the characters. And something like Halloween rises above for me, because obviously you get this great performance from Jamie Lee Curtis, but John Carpenter is also a capital D director who knows how to work with his villain, who creates this haunting image of Michael Myers and who scares you without violence throughout the movie. And so the final 30 minutes are terrifying. And just wait until Friday we get to Wes Craven's, get just wait till we get to Wes Craven directed screen. Yeah. I'm very much looking forward to that. And, and Wes also, Craven obviously is like long time. directed in Nightmare on Elm Street. That's right. I so we're having that. two Wes Craven movies. Double the fun with Wes Craven, who obviously was a long time figure in this world. He'd actually worked with Sean S. Cunningham previously to Friday the 13th on a an X-rated movie. That was Sean Cunningham's directorial debut. I was looking at it on Letterboxd, clicked into the crew to see if there's, you know, was there someone who I might recognize, Roger Corman produced or something like that. And I saw it was Wes Craven. So a <laughs> little connection there between him and Cunningham. Uh, another, I, I guess, iconic person you can say for a certain movie fan who worked on this movie was Tom Savini who handled a lot of the special effects and the makeup. He is someone who has been all over Hollywood throughout his career. He's acted, he's directed, he's produced, he's done makeup. And I'm sure that if you're listening to this episode, you've seen a movie where Tom Savini did the makeup, or at least you would recognize his face from an acting appearance of his. Christian, any any particular makeup effects that stand out with, to you as we think about some of these, some of these special effects, if you will? You know, the girl with the axe on her face? Loved it. So good. Oh, okay. Um, one does come to mind. And we're in spoiler territory. And so yeah, this, it's, whole, this whole episode's been spoiler territory. <laughs> so it, it's it's the death of our good friend Kevin Bacon. Uh, when, probably the, like the best individual kill, I will say. When blood... So there's a there's a dead dude in the bed on top of like on top of his he he does not know he just feels blood drip on him he goes to touch the blood that has dripped on his face and then a knife comes from below the mattress and stabs through his neck and it's... I thought that is good <laughs> it's it's honestly one of the best individual moments in the whole movie. And it shows that Cunningham absolutely has some skill as a director. It's just that his his talents aren't necessarily maximized here. I'm 100% with you. That that was the the award winner for best kill for me from this movie. Also, I love the reveal of Bill's dead body. We don't see him killed, but Alice goes to look for him and we see that as a the door to a barn swings closed that he has been stuck up on the door with arrows from the archery yard through his body, holding him up on the door. And it's, uh, again, just one of those really effective reveals. The makeup work totally sells uh, it, too. I'm, I'm going to say, though, there's no way Mrs. Voorhees did that. <laughs> yeah, like, because when she comes on screen, yeah. she's presented as kind of frail and slow. Which she uses to her advantage, of course. It's how she lulls people into a false sense of security before killing them. Annie gets in her car and is having a conversation okay, but before being killed. Most of these kills killed, she's but... doing in the background. Like, most right. of the skills she's doing where, where we don't know if she actually met the person. Right. Or if she just wants to ask them in the face. Anyway, that's it. That's all I got from this movie. <laughs> that's all Christian has for Friday the 13th. I will say, it. you understand why it's a classic. Aside from the fact that it 
launched I don't. this franchise. You don't, Christian? I feel like probably the movies with Jason are better. <laughs> Those movies, I, again, I know nothing about them. There are some that get ridiculous, like Jason Goes to Hell is one of the movies. Isn't Jason Goes to Space one of them? Yeah, I think that's Jason X, maybe. They're, they're, this is a ridiculously long-running franchise. Freddy versus Jason, of course. And there are people who are devotees to the series who have their favorites that aren't the first one, of course. Because obviously, if you love Jason the character, then you're going to love the one that has that Jason shows in up it. In. <clears throat> yeah. But I, I guess I should say, if we didn't have a franchise here, I may not know why it was considered iconic. And of course, you can't go back in time and just say, is Friday the 13th iconic? Without having all these years of history. With the franchise in mind, I understand why it's considered iconic, why it's beloved. But as we get into some more slashers, I do wonder if there's going to be others that rise above. And I, I like Friday the 13th just enough. I think it's a fun enough movie, probably a lot more fun with people you love, some Halloween cookies and some pumpkin beers along with you to have, have a good time. But I, I understand why you would not like this movie. And I, I do still think that Halloween is a just a far superior movie. So I'm looking forward to next week getting a Nightmare on Elm Street and seeing how we feel about that one instead. So Friday the 13th, folks, is unfortunately not streaming anywhere currently. Okay, if you have a Prime membership, you can get a free trial of AMC+, and that's how I watched it for free. And now I'm just going to cancel my trial. Huh. Well, there you go. Thanks for sharing that, Christian. A little hot tip. It is not streaming anywhere else currently. I'm surprised because it feels like somebody would have wanted to snap that up, but AMC Plus beat everybody to it, I suppose. So maybe do what Christian did and get that for a trial to check it out. Or rent it from a still-surviving video store like I did if you have one. Maybe check the local library, see if you can borrow it there. Otherwise, it's easily rented from Prime and other sources. We'll get to A Nightmare on Elm Street next week, which is streaming on HBO Max. Christian's not a fan, and I'm going to make him rewatch it and hope that he finds some love for it. When was the last time you watched it, Christian? I watched it several months ago. I want to say I watched it four or five months ago. Oh, with, so it's, oh, okay. So not even six months, and I'm making you watch this again. <laughs> yeah, I, I, it, it's, I think, a 90-minute a long movie or so, and I one of my students, she was a giant horror movie buff and so i kind of watched it to talk with her about it interesting well unfortunately she may have been disappointed by your revelation <laughs> that you hated it but it is an hbo max that's where i will be watching it and where i would encourage you listeners as well to watch it if you do have access to that streaming service otherwise all the same rules apply go rent it somewhere borrow from the library check it out if you've reached this point in the episode hey Thanks so much. We do appreciate your support, and it just means a lot to us that we get to uh, have these conversations, put them out there, and know that there's folks listening along with us. So there are a few things you can do to support the show. Number one, please do subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and leave us a rating or a review. Those five-star reviews really help my ego, and it's always nice to read some listener comments. Really appreciate when folks do that. So do please leave us a rating, leave us a review, and subscribe. You can also send us an email to cinemadrippodcast at gmail.com. We love to incorporate listener feedback into the show, as obviously we want to make episodes that people want to listen to. We want to talk about movies that you're watching and that you want to hear further discussion on. And so send us your thoughts, whether you have a slasher that you want to like throw out this month as we start to take a look at some, or if there's an October movie you want to give a shout out to, because there's a ton of big movies coming out this month, especially thinking ahead to awards races early next year 
and some potential big, more blockbuster-style movies like Halloween Ends, speaking of horror movies and slashers, coming out later this month. So send us your thoughts. We'd love to hear them at cinemadrippodcast at gmail.com. Christian, what's one thing you want the listeners to email us about? I want you to email us about whether or not you are excited for Avatar The Way of Water based on the re-release of Avatar. <laughs> Let's go. I'm all about that question. I did not see the re-release in the theaters, but I'm incredibly excited to see The Way of Water when it comes out later. All of you all were haters, and I was there for Big Jim from the beginning. I saw I Avatar. Said the beginning of this year. Avatar The Way of Water is either my one or two most anticipated movie of the year. And guess what? Everyone else is like, nah, it's not going to be good. I'm not interested. But oh, whoa, it's September and October, and they realize Avatar's coming out soon. And guess what? Test screenings, people are calling it a masterpiece of technical achievement. Are you done, Christian? Are you done? You I were saw not Avatar. excited. You were not excited. I saw Avatar. You were not excited. Three times in theaters. You were not excited. As a teen. You were not excited. I've been waiting for this movie for 13 years, Christian. Yes, I am excited, you fool. <laughs> What are you talking about? <laughs> you were not excited at the beginning of this year. I have been excited. Sure. What are you talking about? Well, if you want to help settle that, that, that discourse about Avatar The Way of Water in advance of its release, send us an email. And there are a few other things you can do to support the show, of course, like following myself and the show on Twitter, Christian on Instagram, or following either of us on Letterboxd, where we are regularly rating and reviewing the things that we are watching. Christian, I normally ask you at this point if you have any final thoughts for the listeners, but I'm afraid you're just going to keep ranting about how I wasn't excited for Avatar The Way of Water. So we're just going to settle the score and we're going to leave it at that. Until next time, this has been the Cinema Drip Podcast.